So we've been talking about prayer, and on Wednesday nights especially, uh, I just want to say that I appreciate the things that you guys have been sharing. And if you're missing out on Wednesday nights, let me tell you, there's some really cool things happening. And this isn't like a sales pitch. I just want you to know that discipleship was one of the number one things that you guys asked for. A little while ago, we put out surveys, and we said, what do you want to see? What do you feel like is lacking? What do you need in this place? And discipleship was one of the number one things that most people mentioned. And discipleship is happening on Wednesday nights, guys. So there's only so much that we can do in this room on a Sunday. But when we can get together and we can talk about the Word and we can look at Scripture, some really, really cool things happen. And you guys teach us. And it's really great because you can say things and I'm like, oh, that's really good. I'm going to say that on the weekend. I am totally stealing that. That's awesome. It's true. But we we do that. We disciple each other. And so I'm going to encourage you guys to do that. But God's using those meetings to disciple us, all of us together. This is a group effort. This isn't a one guy, two guy, three guy, three woman show or anything. This is all of us together. And so just a preview of where we're going before I jump headfirst into this. November, we are going to be tackling the theme of Thanksgiving. Uh, And we've kind of started this. It's a tradition for us. But we're going to look at some Psalms, actually. And the theme of Thanksgiving expressed there and how it's connected with our dependency on God. But that's going to culminate with one of my very favorite things that we do here. And that is our annual Thanksgiving service where you guys get to pick up the microphone and share the things that you're thankful for and the ways that God's worked in your life throughout this year. And so even if you come to that and you don't have anything to share, I promise you that you will be blessed uh, by the testimonies of what God's doing in other people's lives. And then, of course, right after that is December. It's just a rush from that moment. I mean, pretty much when we hit October, it's on, okay? We're going to hit December, we've got Advent, we've got Hanukkah, we've got Christmas, and we're just going to squish all of it together, and it's going to be messy, and it's going to be really, really fun. And so, uh, oh, and then December 16th, you heard this earlier, but the, the teens and the kids are taking over the service, and it's going to be really good. And so if you want to help out with that, we need help with that. Because it's kind of like herding cats, okay? Just to be honest, you know. Okay, we're going to line you all up, and we're going to have you sing a song. No, wait, wait, hey, where are you going, dude? Come back. Come back. We're not done yet, right? We've all seen it. It's usually the best part of the show, actually. But um, that'll be a blessing, too. So if you want to help with that, we would love for you to help with that. So this is day seven of our 21 days of prayer together as a community, which we kicked off last week. If you weren't here... Uh, At the very end of the service, I called our community to set aside a regular time of prayer every day for the next 21 days. If that's not something that you do regularly, then the challenge was to start. If it is something that you do regularly, then the challenge was to dig in deep and add a few things to that. We talked about acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and that model last week. If you missed that message, check it out, and you can kind of figure out what's going on there, hopefully. But um, we specifically asked for you to pray for a vision for this place and for God to bring people into this place that need to know who he is and for God to provide the resources that we need to minister to those people. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And so that's what we want. And then for wisdom uh, and how to do that properly. And so please keep praying. That would be great. Uh, Speaking of prayer, I have kind of a funny story for you. So when I was in middle school, I'm going to do a little switcheroo here. When I was in middle school... Uh, probably maybe my sophomore year, it was a terrible year, okay? It was just awful. And I remember very specifically praying pretty much every day that Jesus would come back. Seriously, it's just like, God, 
this is awful. I hate my classes. Please come back. <laughs> God, I, I don't know where I fit in with this world and with these people. I'm just a weirdo. I'm an odd man out. Please come back tomorrow. Please come back before the science test on Friday. Right? Has, right? Has anyone ever felt that way in life? Yes. Yeah. I was just tired of it all. And how many of you guys have had one of those years where you're just waiting for January 1st? Let's be honest. Okay? Less than I thought. Some of you are lying. Anyway, you're not alone, okay? And hopefully you saw the few hands that went up. So this week, I had this opportunity to pray with some really good friends who are going through some super hard stuff. Uh, Some health challenges on top of a bunch of other really hard things. And in fact... They have had what I would say is way more than their fair share over this past year. Like just thing upon thing upon thing. And so meanwhile, while that's happening, I've got some other friends who've also had a lot of challenges this year. But specifically, people that they love who are struggling with faith. And they're like, I don't know what to do about this. Because these people that I love are now saying that everything that they've learned growing up is a lie. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And then, while that's happening, I have other friends who are struggling in their marriage. And there's not been any infidelity or anything like that. It's simply a situation where they can't decide if they want to be together anymore or not. That's just three things, guys. Tip of the iceberg. People in this community, right next to you probably, that are going through really hard things. And in a community this size, roughly 150 or so people... Statistics say that we have people who are struggling with addiction issues, mental health challenges, major health issues, not like just colds and sniffles, but like major debilitating health issues, abusive situations, relationship issues, major financial hardships. And those are just a few of the things that I can mention, and there's more. And so I would describe folks like this as people who are in crisis. They're like at this critical moment in their lives where they're trying to figure out how to navigate all these things within their faith. And so I think that might be part of the reason why this conversation we've been having about prayer has been so meaningful. Because when we're in the middle of all this stuff and we feel like uh, we're doing everything that we can, we're trying to figure out how to apply Like, okay, God, that's great. I believe that I need to pray to you. But how do I do that in the midst of all this stuff? It's like this trial by fire where you're kind of having to jump out of an airplane and build a wings or a parachute on your way down a little bit. Sometimes it feels that way. So in our prayer conversation, we talked about this. We talked about sometimes you're in the midst of really hard stuff, these hard things that we're talking about. And you feel like that you're doing everything that you can, right? You're following all the rules. You're doing the things that everybody has told you to do. You're trying to rely on God. You're doing all the right things. But all that you seem to be getting from God in that moment is silence. Anyone ever felt that way before? Yeah. And if we're honest, I think those times in our faith may be some of the hardest times. Because we're trying to be self-sufficient in that moment somewhat, right? And we begin to fear... And then our fear kind of turns to doubt and we begin to question things. Like, okay, well, what is up here then? And then ultimately we can't find peace in the middle of it, right? The peace is the thing that we lack and we start to stress. So 
There's actually a story. It's in chapter 11 of John's account of the life of Jesus. And this story that he shares addresses the feeling that we just talked about directly. And here's what he says. It's some of the closest friends of Jesus. They're dealing with this difficult situation. It's the death of someone that they love. It's in John 11, starting with verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So I like how the writer here sets the tone so you know who we're talking about. You might remember Mary and Martha from Luke's Gospel. Uh, Martha gets upset. She's the one that gets really mad because she's doing all the work. Jesus and his friends come by the house and they're hanging out and she's doing all the work and she's trying to do her best to make them feel welcome. And Mary's just kind of hanging out at his feet like, oh, that's awesome, Jesus. I love that story. Tell it again. She's like, listen, Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. I'm doing all the work here. And so Martha is expecting that Jesus is going to get on to Mary, but he doesn't. He's like, listen, she's actually chosen the better thing here, right? And of course, John also reminds us that the Mary that we're talking about here is the same one who broke that vial, that expensive vial of alabaster, and she anointed his feet, and she, with her tears in her hair, she washed his feet. So when Lazarus gets ill, this must have been serious. And so they do the right thing. They make the right choice, right? They call out for help. They call to Jesus. They say, listen, Jesus, your buddy, he's ill, and he needs your help. So here's what Jesus says. He responds in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So if you heard that, you'd be like, oh, cool, good, good news. Basically, Jesus is saying, listen. Everything's going to be all right. I've got this. And so we hear that and we're like, okay, cool. I can rest in that. So imagine the messenger running the two miles between Bethany and Jerusalem. (sighs) Guys, (sighs) hang on. Jesus said, everything's cool. (laughs) Right? Running back to get the message to him. Just run back and tell Mary and Martha, everything's going to be okay. He's not going to die. This is all for God's glory. Woo, thank goodness we were really worried there for a second. Because he looks really bad. I think our lives can be like that sometimes. When we're under the weight, when we're under the burden, when we're under just the regular, everyday, skanky stuff of life. Right? We've all got skanky stuff of life, okay? We do. We're under the stuff. But then we come into church, right? And we begin to worship. And God's spirit is moving. And as we sing, our hearts are reminded of the truth of who God is. I mean, we worship him, but it's totally reciprocal, right? Because it's like he reminds us in the midst of that, hey, think about what you're saying. Think about what you're singing. Because that's truth. hearts are reminded of the sovereign power of Adonai. Or the Holy Spirit takes something out of the message that is word for word, verbatim, something that God's been reminding you or reminding me of all week long. It's like, whoa. You've got mail, right? And God just read it. 
It's like the tablet, you know, scripture describes our hearts like a tablet. Sometimes I wonder if they're more like a whiteboard. You know? And we walk in and we've got all this conflict and junk and all the scrawlings and the things that the world's been telling us all week are all scribbled on there. And it's kind of dirty. You know how when you have a whiteboard and it's been around for a while and you can't hardly clean it off and Pastor John really hates that. And he's like, listen, I hate it when people use the wrong markers. And somebody's been using the wrong markers on your whiteboard and they're using this permanent marker and they're writing all this junk and then you have to write over it with the other marker to try and use that little Heloise hack, right, to... Clean that off. Some of you know who Heloise is, right? You're like trying to figure it out, clean it all off. And so you've got this junk that's all over your whiteboard. And you come into church and God's like. And he wipes it off. And he starts to write things like, I'm all powerful. And then over here he writes, I'm a good father. And over here he writes, I love you. And then over here he writes, I am Yahweh Shalom, the God of abiding peace that comes from a heart of contentment. And then over here he writes, I'm sufficient. And then we're reminded, like in the story, oh, okay, God's got this. Everything's going to be okay. So back to the story, John tells us in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now listen. I know that Jesus is friends with everybody, right? Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. If you've not seen the video, you need to look that up. Anyway, Jesus is a friend to everyone, but something special is happening here. Right? Lazarus and his sisters were more than disciples. They were friends of Jesus. Their home had been like this outpost for his ministry travels. Significant teaching moments had happened right there in their home. John makes it really clear that he loved them. And Lazarus was not just a friend to Jesus. But if you look at verse 11 in uh, chapter 11 of John... Jesus mentions to the disciples, our friend. He talks about him as our friend. So all of the disciples, they all knew and loved Lazarus, okay? Jesus doesn't seem to be worried because he hangs around for two more days. The thing is, by the time that the message made it back to Mary and Martha, Lazarus was already dead. And by the time Jesus and his fellowship of disciples traveled there, Lazarus had been closed in his tomb for four days. Jewish burial happened on the day of your death, okay? So he would have been in that tomb for four days. And if you don't know the rest of the story... Martha runs to meet Jesus at the edge of town. If only you'd been here, my brother would still be alive. Martha has this moment. And Jesus, his response is different than probably what I would have thought he would have said. Because he actually challenges her to see who she thinks that he is. And here's what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Martha's response. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ or the Messiah. The son of God who is coming into the world. And if you read through the story, especially some of the things that Jesus says to his disciples before they get here. It kind of seems to indicate that he knew how all of this was going to go down. Even though his disciples, of course, are confused by the things that he's telling him. So his challenge here, do you believe this, is a challenge for you and for me as well, guys. In the midst of what you're going through today, do you believe that he is who he says he is? Do you believe that he is who Martha says he is? The Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So when he challenges her here, and he's like, do you believe this? We read this in the story as, do you believe I can fix this? But that, that's not a given here yet, right? We don't know that that's what's going to happen if we're in the story. So just to give you a synopsis here, Mary joins them. She comes along with all of the mourners. And when Jesus sees them, he is moved by their sorrow. And he weeps. Okay, so he knows what's going to happen. And yet he weeps. Why does he weep? He weeps because his heart is broken because his friends are sad. And I love that picture of our Savior. That even though he knew what was going to happen, his heart was hurting for the people that he loved. So he goes to the tomb. He asks for the stone to be rolled away. And of course, Martha, being a very practical one, is like, "Uh, I think that's a bad idea. He's been in there four days and it's going to stink. Read it for yourself. Jesus reminds her again. Did I not tell you that if you believed that you'd see the glory of God? So they roll the stone away. Jesus prays, and it's a really cool prayer. And then he says, Lazarus! Did that scare you? Sorry. Probably scared him too. Lazarus! Come out! When you read scripture and there's an exclamation point, ladies and gentlemen, come on, right? Lazarus, come out! And I imagine that there's probably a pregnant pause here because, you know, the drama. And they're looking and all they see is the darkness of the tomb. And then all of a sudden, something moving around. And out walks the mummy man. And when he goes, "Mm," it's only because there's so much light. And he's been in there for four days, okay? Out walks this man who's wrapped in all this stuff. They unbind him. God's power is revealed as promised. And we assume, it doesn't tell us, but we assume that everyone is joyful at the end of the story. Because we would be, right? I mean, that's like just, okay, we had all this food gathered for the funeral. But now this is going to be a party, okay? We love that story. It's like one of the most powerful miracles that Jesus... Four days! We love this story so much that we gloss over some really important details. Some of you caught them earlier to jump right to the end. So I want to jump back for just a second and show you something. So John 11, 5 through 6. 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. These two sentences side by side seem very incompatible to me. Some of you noticed that earlier. It's like, what? He loved them. So he decided to hang out for a little while longer before going to the urgent need. It's like your friend calls you up. Hey, I'm in the emergency room. Okay, I'll be there in two days. (laughs) Not helpful, right? So what's up with that? Imagine that you're Martha and Mary and this messenger shows up to relay that Jesus said everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. Jesus is coming soon. Only to find out when he got there that Lazarus had already died. And then silence. For two days, nothing. Jesus doesn't show up that we have record of. Jesus doesn't send any more messages that we have record of. No extra disciples go along to say, he's a little bit delayed, but he's going to be there. None of that. Just absolute silence. And we know that Jesus promised that this whole thing was going to be used for God's glory. And we know that Martha believed in miracles and she was fully aware of who Jesus was, right? Yet the reality at hand was the fact that her brother was dead and he was buried and Jesus was nowhere to be found. Silence. Guys, I would suggest to you That it's in the silence. That's where our true sufficiency is found. In the book of Judges, you guys know the story of Gideon. We've talked about it extensively. But God takes this doubtful man and he makes Gideon into this mighty warrior through his guidance and his faithfulness and his presence. And in that moment when God does all those things, Gideon names him. He names him Yahweh Shalom, or the Lord is peace. And that's a wonderful title, by the way. Notice that Gideon doesn't say God of peace. Notice that Gideon does not say God gives peace. No, he names him God himself is peace. Believing in God's faithfulness and living in his presence is what brings us peace, guys, regardless of the circumstances. Let me say that again. Believing, trusting in God's faithfulness, and living in His presence, they're the things that bring us peace, regardless of our circumstances. So it should make sense to us then that in Isaiah 9-6, where he talks about our Messiah, it makes sense that our Messiah, Yeshua, is called the Prince of of peace because his dad is peace itself, right? So it's here that we find our sufficiency in him. Do we trust Jesus when he promises to be glorified in our lives and that all things work together for the glory of God? Do we do we trust that? Do we trust in the sufficiency of our Messiah who gave his life And was resurrected so that we find new life in him now, now, and forever. Or do we allow our circumstances to dictate our response? 
The peace that he promises us, guys, isn't just this lack of conflict, right? I would say it's a peace in the midst of conflict. It's a peace that we can only find in God, in his shalom. We are fulfilled, we're satisfied. When in Israel, when they greet each other and they say shalom, they're saying, hey, more than peace, man, right? It's more than that. What they are wishing the other person is they're wishing them fulfillment, satisfaction. They're wishing them to be prosperous, healthy, and in harmony, not only with themselves, but with others and God. All of those things wrapped up in a word that we can't touch. Shalom. So could it be that when we're met with what seems like silence, it's really an opportunity for the Lord to grow our sufficiency in Him. A moment when He can develop His perfect peace, His shalom in our lives. Oswald Chambers says that God's silences are His answers and that they're a sign of His trust in us. Let me say that again. Oswald Chambers says says that God's silences are His answers and are a sign of His trust in us. And let me give you the specifics. Here's what he says. His silence is the sign that He is bringing you into a marvelous understanding of Himself. Are you mourning before God because you have not had an audible response? You will find that God has trusted you in the most intimate way possible. With an absolute silence, not of despair, but of pleasure. Because he saw that you could stand a bigger revelation. I mean, that's pretty deep. I had to read that about five times. I was like, what? What are you saying? His silence. Sometimes when God's silent, it's trust. He's building something up in us. And just like in this story with Martha and Mary... Jesus promised us that everything's going to be all right. Jesus told us that he will return to establish a messianic kingdom that will last for all eternity. We know who wins. We know how it ends. And he promises us that he will be glorified in our lives. So can we trust that he will do whatever he needs to do, no matter what things may look like around us? Can we trust in that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Talking about us, our bodies, our mortal shell, so to speak. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. No matter what we're under, guys, Jesus is at work in our lives, and we will never be abandoned. He's what we need, and it's all about Him. That's the reminder. So what do we do? What's the answer? Like, okay, well, I'm in the midst of this. What do I do? We worship Him. You're like, okay, well, that, that kind of seems like a cop-out. No, it's not, actually. Because what we do is we acknowledge who He is in the midst of that. All-powerful, 
faithful, sufficient. We were created to worship him, and it is all about him. It's what's spilling out of Martha when she greets him on the road, right? That's worship. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. That's worship. Reminding ourselves of his promises by studying his word, lifting our voices to sing truth, or falling on our knees in humble prayer. He is more than adequate. And when we finally, when we finally surrender and trust him, that's when he becomes our strength. When we finally surrender, when we say, I give up. That's one of the things I love about raising hands in worship, by the way. It's the sign of surrender. God, do it. I can't. Take it. It's yours. I give up. He's more than adequate when we finally surrender and trust him. That's when he becomes our strength. Also in 2 Corinthians, if I can get it to, here we go. Verse, or chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Reminds me of that moment where Peter argues with Jesus when Jesus is going to wash his feet. You know? And he's like, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to let you stoop to that, you know, basically is the context. Like, listen, if you belong to me, this needs to happen. You need to surrender your pride there, dude. Come on. And so Peter, when he gets, he's like, well, okay, then wash all of me. Wash my head, wash everything. He's like, just your feet will do, Peter, okay? Just your feet. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. That's kind of what I feel like that moment with Peter is in a way. It's like, okay, you want to wash me? It's on. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. What? That's not one that happens on the job interview. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm content with weaknesses. That's not getting many people jobs. But remember, the kingdom is upside down. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions. I'm content with all of those things, even calamities. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I'm not suggesting that you wish for these things, people, because they're going to happen. They're already happening. Jesus promised that these things will happen to the people who follow me. The answers to our prayers are a matter of God's sovereignty. Time, guys, is nothing to God. Think about this. A dude that was in the grave for four days. And God's like, "Eh." there he is. Time is nothing to God. He's given us the bread of life and he is sufficient. The Lord is peace and is with you no matter what you're going through. I promise you that today. I've got a whole book of scripture in the lives of other people to back up that promise. No matter what you're going through today, God is with you. God loves you. And I know we like to say that and we 
think about it in the VBS way, but have you really ever thought about that statement? God loves you. Just the way you are. For God so loved the world. Put your name in there next time you read that verse. For God so loved John that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Brad, Amber, JJ, Reggie, that he gave his only begotten son. That happened first, right? He loved, he gave. So that whoever believes in him will have the promised eternal life. God loves you and he promised to be glorified in the lives of those who follow him. We only find our sufficiency, guys, in him. At the beginning of this message, I mentioned some of the folks in our community that are struggling with some really hard things right now. And one of the things that someone said to me this week that I want to share with you is they said, you know, I don't know how people do it who don't have a community of people that love them And have Jesus. I don't know how they make it through this stuff. And I would suggest to you they don't. Not intact. You're surrounded right now by people who are going through hard things. Or at the very least have someone that they love who is going through something really hard right now. People that love you. As believers, we are called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world. And what that basically means is that the work that needs to be done for the kingdom is the work that we should be doing. But I also think that we're supposed to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, the arms of Jesus to wrap around people that need to know that he's real. People that are going through hard things need the arms of Jesus around them. And you can be those arms. You should be those arms. Essentially, we are his physical presence. And when we love others and we do whatever we can to help them, it shows that he's real. So one of the ways that Jesus can show up in the middle of your trial is through the compassion and the love of the people that are in your community. But, We have to surrender. We have to lay down our pride and we have to trust a little bit, right? Can't be that if we don't know, right? We have to lay down our pride and our self-sufficiency and we have to make our needs known.